Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Revelation. Tonight is study number 6 of Revelation chapter 11. And we're going to be reading verses 6 through 8. These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood, and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them, and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. I'll stop reading there. Now, we have been discussing the two witnesses as God uses um, uh, this language to describe the witness of the Bible within the churches and congregations during the church age. They were the two olive trees, the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And and we also saw how the true believers do uh, relate and identify with the two witnesses because God would utilize the believers to proclaim the truth that was coming forth from his word. And the two witnesses are a type and a figure of Moses and Elijah, Moses representing the law of God, Elijah the prophets. Verse 6 of Revelation 11 adds additional confirmation to to that uh, idea, to that understanding that the two witnesses are typified by Moses and Elijah. Because, I'll read again, it says there, These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood, and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And when we look at uh, the activity that is described here and uh, assigned to the two witnesses, this is what they will have power or authority to do from God, we see that that everything mentioned here identifies with either Moses or Elijah. For instance, shutting heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. Well, uh, we read of Elijah praying to God that it might not rain. And the Bible says it rained not for the space of three years and six months. That in, in at least three different places, God emphasizes that and tells us that Elijah was the prophet that he communed with that it not rain in his day. And, and then when we, we read on and it speaks of that uh, the two witnesses have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will, well, turning water to blood and smiting with plagues is something that Moses is known for in, in a, a spectacular way as God sent him 
to deliver his people Israel from Egypt. And one of the first uh, signs, one of the, the first things Moses was able to do by the power of God was to turn the water of Egypt to blood and then to finally smite Egypt with plague after plague after plague. And and so uh, verse 6 is confirmation that, yes, Moses and Elijah are the two witnesses in a figure because they represent the law and the prophets. And the law and the prophets is language that God uses to describe the word of God, the Bible itself. Well, now, that's fine. We We can understand that. But we wonder... How is it that the two witnesses actually carried out uh, these type of things during the church age? After the Bible was completed, we know God wasn't um, performing miracles as he did in Egypt. God wasn't sending famine, uh, hearkening to a prophet during the church age that it not rain as he did in the days of Elijah. So what does God mean? Well, I think that um, this can be understood this way, that when the Bible declares truth, that reveals falsehood, that uh, churches and congregations and, and in some instances whole denominations of churches, a denomination is a collection of churches that are not teaching that truth, well then they are judged they are condemned by the truth of the Word of God. Now, a good example of this that maybe um, some of you may remember, uh, maybe a few, is the Open Forum program that Mr. Camping at Family Radio taught for about 50 years. Now, back in the 80s, I remember listening in 1987 and a portion of 1988, when it was still the church age. And um, that means that the program, Mr. Camping himself, as a true believer, would have been identified with the two witnesses. That that was still the period where their testimony was active, where God was still in the midst of the church, where he was blessing his word. During the church age. And, and so now, uh, during that program, a person would call up and they would say, uh, I think that speaking in tongues is for today. And then Mr. Camping would go to the Bible to prove, no, no, speaking in tongues would be, uh, if it were true, would be coming from God. That would be divine revelation. And look here in Revelation 22, in verses um, 17, 18, and 19, somewhere in there, it says, you are not to add to the words of this book or subtract from the words of this book. If you do add to them, then the plagues written herein will be added to you. In, in other words, if anyone thinks that God is still bringing divine revelation through a dream or a vision, or a tongue, then they are, in essence, adding to the Bible, and the Bible thereby condemns them. They have 
dared to add a word to the completed word of God. And so the plagues written herein are upon them. And, and you see, in effect, what that did was it turned the waters of tongues churches to blood. Now, now people would know, oh, I'm, I'm never going to that church. They have another gospel. They're under the wrath of God and, and so forth. And, and, um, and also, uh, as Revelation 22 again says, the plagues written herein are added to you if you add or subtract. And, and so it was as though they were plagued. And, and that is basically what this verse is talking about, that the two witnesses had power to turn waters to blood and and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they would. Uh, if any church went astray, if any denomination thought that uh, they became the the foundation of truth, that they were um, the determiners of what is true and what is not, and if if any added or took away from the word of God, then it was as if the two witnesses, the word of God, condemned them and turned their waters to blood and and smote them with a plague. All right, let's let's uh, move on to the next verse, Revelation eleven, verse seven. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. Okay, now let's ask the question, when did the two witnesses finish their testimony? And uh, about this time, there might be uh, one or two or more that are saying, oh, we finished our testimony on May 21, 2011. That's when we were killed. And you would be absolutely wrong. That is far from the truth. The two witnesses finished their testimony. This is what the Bible says on May 21, 1988, at the end of the church age. They are, uh, the two witnesses, or a figure God uses to describe the testimony of the gospel within the congregations. Their period of ministry of 1260 days covers the New Testament church age. And then they finish their testimony, and then it's the end of the church age, the beginning of the Great Tribulation period, the beginning of the judgment upon the house of God. Now, we're not just saying that. Uh, we, we can prove that. The Bible locks that in, and it is... Um, dismaying. It, it is very troubling to see people who, uh, maybe because of the way they felt, maybe because of how they perceive events in the way they unfolded outwardly on May 21 in 2011, they insist, oh no, that's when we were killed. That's when the two witnesses finished their testimony. No one wants to hear the gospel anymore since that date and and so forth. And yet, 
where is your evidence from the Bible? They don't prove it from the Bible. They they just make a, a big assumption that this is obvious. Come on, we we all know what happened. Well, I'm sorry, uh, but that has led to a completely wrong conclusion, and it has led people astray. They are never going to understand Revelation chapter 11 and some very important details concerning the day of judgment that we are presently in with that kind of misunderstanding. We need to turn to the Bible. What does the Bible say about this verse? And let me give four reasons that are right here in Revelation 11 that prove that this cannot be May 21, 2011 at that point, but it must be the end of the church age. Now, reason number one is uh, in verse 7, it's in the verse itself. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. Now here, God has given us information concerning the end of the testimony of the two witnesses, and simultaneous with that is the ascension of the beast. Now, the beast is the name for Satan that God has assigned to him uh, for the, the period of the Great Tribulation. And and why does it say here in Revelation eleven seven the beast ascendeth out of the bottomless pit? Why does he need to ascend out of the bottomless pit? Because he was locked up in that pit for a thousand years. According to Revelation 20, it says in verse 1, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. Satan, the beast, is bound for a thousand years, a a figurative number that represents the entire church age, and then he must be loosed. So when, at, at what point, is Satan loosed? Well, he is loosed at the end of the church age, the beginning of the Great Tribulation. And he was bound in a bottomless pit. Now, what happens the moment Satan is loosed? He ascends out of the pit and he comes against the camp of the saints. We we read um, in Revelation 13 where the beast rose up out of the sea. And in the same chapter, it, it tells us in verse 7, of Revelation 13, and it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. This happens immediately upon his loosing. This is the point 
that Satan enters into the church as the man of sin and takes his seat in the temple. This is the point where he becomes the abomination of desolation, standing in the holy place where he ought not. And and this is the point that he ascended out of the pit. Well, God, in telling us that the two witnesses finish their testimony, and in the very next breath, uh, he goes on to say, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit is joining the two together and locking in the time when the two witnesses finish their testimony. It is at the loosing of Satan, which occurred after the church age, or at the beginning of the Great Tribulation, which is basically saying the same thing. And and so that's reason number one, that Revelation 11.7 cannot in any way be referring to what took place in 2011. Now the second reason is found uh, in in the idea that's stated at the end of verse 7 of Revelation 11. The beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them, and shall overcome them and kill them. Now, notice who is victorious. Who is the winner? Who is uh, supreme? Why, it's the beast. It, it's Satan. Satan is the one that makes war overcomes and kills the two witnesses. And it was the same thing in Revelation 13, 7. It was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And and remember, it was given to him to continue for 42 months, the duration of the Great Tribulation period. And it was at the beginning of the Great Tribulation at the end of the church age, the beginning of the Great Tribulation, the beginning when judgment commenced upon the house of God, that Satan won. Satan was victorious. The two witnesses are lying dead in the street. There, There's no gospel um, blessing at all, uh, virtually, in anywhere in the world for the first 2300 evening mornings. It, it certainly appears that the beast whose deadly wound was healed has somehow amazingly uh, uh, won the day. He has come back, in in a sense, from the dead to win the battle over the the kingdom of God, or at least the outward representation of God's kingdom on earth, the church. And it was at that point he won. But what happens on May 21, 2011? Was Satan the winner? Did he overcome and kill the saints? No. No way. Satan was defeated. He was deposed from his rule in the church and from his rule in the world. He was put down. And he lost not only the battle, but he lost the war. Satan has been fighting against God and and there has been spiritual warfare raging for thousands of years and the battleground was the souls of men, the souls of God's elect. God obligated himself to save them. Satan did all he could 
to resist and to prevent them from being saved. And yet God finally accomplished the salvation of everyone whose name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And this was a glorious victory. The Lord Jesus Christ was exalted on that day of May 21, 2011, and he began the judgment process on the world as a result, because now he could shut heaven's door. Now he could put out the light of the gospel, and and now he could uh, end salvation, and and that would be the means of judging the unsaved people of the earth. And all the saints, in in a way, were judging with him, because it was all due to the fact that they had become saved. All the saints were now that complete body of Christ, the complete bride of Christ, and it was um, that that glorious salvation of each and every one of them that allowed God to bring his wrath, to pour out his wrath on the wicked and so there there was no overcoming of Satan. There was no uh, killing of the saints of God by Satan on May 21, 2011. It is completely reverse. God slew Satan and the false prophet as the third part of men. All those in the churches were as tares bundled for the burning. It's the true believers who take the bundled tares and throw them into the fire as God reveals these things from his word and and we share them and we declare them as the Lord opens up our eyes to them. And that is not the role of someone defeated. That is the role of the one that has overcome themselves. We have overcome through the faith of Christ. Well, that's the second reason. It's a complete misunderstanding of the spiritual reality that took place on May 21, 2011. That was not a day of defeat. It was not a day of Satan winning. It was a time when Satan was put down and his kingdom was destroyed. It is a time, the Bible says, typifying the world as Babylon, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. Babylon fell after the the historical 70-year period. That 70 years typified the Great Tribulation. And then, uh, after 70 years, Babylon falls. And what does God say of the king of Babylon? First of all, in Jeremiah 25, he tells us that all nations will serve him for 70 years. But afterwards... I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation. And and that's exactly what God did at the end of the Great Tribulation. Well, thirdly, uh, the third point that will not allow the two witnesses' death to be anything but a picture of what happened at the end of the church age is found in verse 8. Revelation 11, verse 8 says, "...in their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city." which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Now here, the two witnesses are killed. And where you're killed is where you fall down. The the place you're killed, you're not going to move from there. 
The two witnesses are killed in the street of the great city, spiritually called Sodom in Egypt. And we may have some difficulty with that language, except God, through it, is teaching us that the church has been brought back to bondage of Egypt, that they are as wicked as the people of Sodom. And the proof is the last statement of verse 8, where also our Lord was crucified. Was our Lord crucified in Sodom? No. Was he crucified in Egypt? No. Where was he crucified? Outside the gates of Jerusalem. Jerusalem typifies the churches and congregations. Where are the two witnesses lying dead? They are lying dead in the great city, Jerusalem. They are lying dead within the churches and congregations. The witness of God's word has been silenced. It it has lost its power. The blessing upon the word of God has been removed. Once the Holy Spirit came out of the midst, even though the church still has the Bible, they may even have the best version of the Bible. And they may have a preacher who, who preaches some things faithfully according to the Bible. And yet... The moment the Holy Spirit departed, now the message from the preacher is no longer of any impact. It no longer carries any spiritual blessing because it takes God, the Holy Spirit, to open the ears of the hearers. And and uh, this is what happened. This is why the two witnesses' dead bodies are lying dead in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, that that type and figure of the church. So that's the third proof. The believers on May 21, 2011 had come out of Jerusalem. Why would it be said, if this were referring to that day, that we were lying dead in, in the street where our Lord was crucified? No, we would be lying dead in the world. We had left Judea. We had fled to the mountains And if uh, we were killed, then we were killed out in the world. We were not killed in Jerusalem, in Judah, at all. So this is um, another conclusive proof, a third proof, that it cannot in any way be referring to 2011. And the fourth is found in verse 11 of Revelation 11. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them, And they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. Now, the idea that some are presenting is, well, we were killed on May 21, and then after three and a half days, which they're doing some convoluted timeline that arrives at a certain date, which has no biblical basis at all, but after three and a half days, then we stand on our feet, and and they think it's the rapture. But again, they are not careful. They are not looking to the Bible. The language of standing on the feet is very significant. Twice in the book of Acts, God identifies standing on one's feet as having to do with the sending forth of the gospel. In Acts 26, in verse 16, The Apostle Paul is recounting his experience on the road to Damascus. 
And it says, But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God. See, God is sending them. That's what standing upon the feet identifies with, which, of course, does not relate to the rapture at all. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.